You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Make way for the Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Between Bites with Nina Compton and Larry Miller, our final episode of this season, and we basically say the best for last. <laughs> we are joined by the legend, Mr. Brentford Marsalis. Welcome. Thank you, Nina. So, where do we start with someone like you who has crammed 15 lives into one? Into a we You grew up here in New Orleans. I did. With a mother and father who were talented musically. Yes. And what ended up happening to you and your brother? I don't know. <laughs> no, you guys, you guys grew up in scary generation. Not true at all. What was, what was that like? What are your first memories of getting past just banging on things and picking up an instrument? I was terrible. Wind was terrible. And uh, I played clarinet. And I, I was better than wind back then. And what age is this? Oh, it's seven, eight, down there. Okay. And then around 10, he stopped playing. And he had this trumpet that was given to him by Albert. Wow. And the valves were stuck. It couldn't do anything, so we took it in the backyard and we stuck uh, black hats in the bell, fire rangers. Yeah. And we tied two together and lit it. And trying to fly in the air. <laughs> and when he picked it up, the valve started working. And he just said, yeah, okay, good, it works. And then he started practicing. I don't know why, how those two are related. But that <laughs> at that moment, he started practicing and got very, very, very serious. That's cool. Um, as you were coming up, when do you uh, remember your first performances in front of other people who weren't, if not the living room, that you were out at a gig? Yeah, we didn't perform in the living room. 
to say about all these friends with permits. He said, Why do the people? No, I'm not gonna. I would actually wait until people would leave the house and then I would practice. And then a couple of my kids did that. <laughs> yeah, I remember those days. I guess that makes, makes sense. That's interesting. And then to be on the stage in front of strangers, then. I think it had something to do with being in the house more than it had to do with. It wasn't stage fright. It was just, I don't know what it was. But when I was 14, I was playing piano in an RB band called The Creators. And I was playing nightclubs. And I wasn't afraid to play in front of those people. <laughs> and uh, $100 didn't hurt either. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was just, some, I don't know what that was. So I just wouldn't do that. And when wouldn't do it either. But uh, he started practicing way before I did. And, but I was playing. I was working a lot. And I, I pressured him, along with my dad, into joining our R&B band, which he did very reluctantly. <laughs> he, he learned to love it in the end. That's cool. Does he critique you to this day? Nice no, I'm too old for that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know. I mean, in life, yeah. Music, I mean, we both understand life's a little more important than music now, so we don't, uh, we never really used to critique. Sometimes it's not really a critique, it's more of an observation. Because in the end, if you like it, then that's what you should do. You know, if you, but he would say, What do you think? I'd say, Oh, well, I think this because I would do it differently. I'm a different person. Right. And he goes, Yeah, I hear you. I like this. Thing. Great. There you go. How much of grasping the concept of music and understanding it, how to read it, how to play it, is, do you think, is wired in your brain versus practicing to get better? None of it is wired in your brain. Reading music is easier than playing music. I think that the most ironic thing about music and art and life is that human beings seem to be by nature linear beings. But the entire world is not linear. Better musicians are not linear thinkers, not linear. But reading is a linear construct. So a lot of guys you can read. A, B, C, D, C, 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 D. But the thing that affects people is when you can, especially in instrumental music, songwriting is different. You have the, the lyrics. Even if the melody is not good, the lyrics are powerful. People will ascribe the emotional content of the lyric to the entire song. But in instrumental music, we don't have any words. And of course, as like I said, you know, when you folks, we love our words. That's interesting. So the, the, the challenge in instrumental music is you have to create sound that has an emotional effect on people. And that's an acquired skill. No teenager can do that. No 15-year-old can do that. This is an acquired skill. And if you don't think about the possibility of it, you, you're never going to do that. So a lot, a lot of instrumental bands in the ones are like Harden bands. And I have, I have cast a notice version on Harden bands. Right, right. You know, I was in a Harden band. It's just, it's just, but that's, 
what would happen is, if, like, for instance, if some of these guys started listening to like Mahler, Gustav Mahler, and by the time they got to the Third Symphony, it, it, it scrambles your brain in a way. Right. Not in a negative way, it's just suddenly you are aware of sounds that didn't exist in your life. And what are you supposed to do with that? And, and that's interesting. How do you how do you look at it as someone who is just hearing music, who has no gift, and where do they say that's it, that's something? I mean, is that it's the power of, of, of it. Gotcha. You see, because that's like a, a linear question. Right. It's right. Somebody's sitting here and they hear like an adagio of Mahler's Fifth Symphony, and then they start crying. They don't know why they're crying. Right. They can't tell you. It's just something in the sound of that affected me. Mm -hmm. Particularly people who have experienced loss or people who have aged because you can age, you experience loss. Right. <laughs> um, you, you hear that music very differently than I would have heard it when I was 15. I was 15, I said, yeah, this is killer. This is great. You know, at 25, I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's just, and that's the power of that, but that can't be taught in school. So you grew up musical household, very musical city here in New Orleans. There you go. You end up going to Southern Baton Yeah. What was that like? Was it culture shock? You still, you know, you study music, correct? Not really. Not really. History. Okay. I marched in the band. <clears throat> was it culture shock? In a way, it was great though. Um, you behave yourself in college, or you had a good time? I'm very mischievous, but it depends on the context. And in the traditional, like, frat boy movie context, I behave myself. <laughs> but I'm from New Orleans. I grew up uptown. I went to Delta South High School. All of a sudden, I'm in a band. I mean, dudes from across the river. Cut off. Guys from the world. Thank the Lord. I'm meeting guys from Edgard, Louisiana, from Donaldsonville, from my mood, from my road. Right? There was no other way that I was going to meet these people. <laughs> yeah. I was not going to meet these people in normal circumstances. And that was like one of the, that's one of the top five experiences in my life. That's really cool. And how did that feel now all of a sudden playing gigs since you're 14 or so here in town? Now all of a sudden you're part of a 100 member. Probably in March of Bands before. Okay. It was, it's more about, it's not really about a musical thing. It's March of Bands and March of Bands. Right. And March of Bands, just like, just like what I was doing with the creators, we played a popular song. It's like, I don't get $100. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just like, good job. Yeah. Get on the bus. <laughs> but socially, that was a transformative experience. That's nice because you are in all those like minded people. Do we know we weren't like minded? No, that's the whole point. Okay, but like minded in your love of it had nothing to do with music. Okay, it was just like you ever talk to anybody from Agar? No, it takes right. about two weeks to hear to figure out what they're saying. Well, let's <laughs> see how you don't have you were born in Grove Ridge, yeah, but I didn't, I wasn't raised. Yeah, I know. So you think that maybe the doctor or something that, that got stuck in your head. No, uh, culture is interesting, yeah, and, uh, culture is. Geography of intertwined. 
I was always the straightest kid anyway. We heard him record little tapes of women and the kids, a lot of my other brothers talking. And I was the only one who didn't have a very pronounced one. Really? Yeah, never did. Huh. I used to always say, well, I guess I'm the young man's kid. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same thing. Because I'm the only one that didn't have it. <clears throat> the, uh, and after college, you moved to Brooklyn? No, I went to Southern for a year. Okay. And my teacher, Alan Baptiste, who was uh, just yeah, really antisocial in a lot of ways. I was way too social for him. So he called my dad. Their son's not serious. Which I wasn't. What was wrong with that? <clears throat> so he don't need to be here. Oh. You know, he's over there playing Washington tunes for the ladies. And, you know, like, yeah, what's wrong with that? That's exactly right. So my dad, who is like really in the anti-social media, like that, same kind of thing. Yeah, that says you're not taking this seriously. I'm like, take what serious? I'm having a great time. He says, yeah, you don't need to be You can't tell me where to go. He says, you're right, I can't tell you where to go. I'm not paying <laughs> if you go there. <laughs> so when I went to the Berkeley College of Music, got a scholarship, sister, I don't for that. <laughs> he was, you know, change, you know, right? I didn't have a for me. Yeah, he was like, you know, I so I was going to have to go get a job to get my tuition to stay at Southern. It was, it was the right move for me. Because he was right, I was doing that, but I loved every second of it. It wasn't like I saw myself as this person who was going to become this really successful musician. I wasn't, I didn't have that dream. So, what was your dream? What did you see as a kid? Play Mr. Matthew for the ladies. Yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> Little Mark's in the band. You have to hang out and you meet people. I wasn't, I didn't have all that. I'm not, I'm not ambitious. I've never been ambitious. And I, I say that happily. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying it ruefully at all. I'm just, you, know, you hear kids say all the time, you know, I'm either going to be a baller or a rapper, I'm going to be a this or a that, or I'm going to be a movie star. And the chances are a gazillion of them. And my father would say, well, you want to be a movie star, that starts with acting. So why don't you just worry about acting first? Movie star, shit, second. But I just didn't. Like if somebody said, you know, like when you said, I'm going to New York and I'm shopping, well, I would leave him. That wasn't me. Yeah. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm going to teach history. I'm going to play in my band on the weekends. <laughs> and with them, my dad started going to you can be up here, man. I'm going to go these guys. They're not better than you. It's not possible. It's New York. They got to be better. No, they're not better. You need to come up there, man. And my dad said, look, all the New York stuff is a young man's game. So I can't tell you what to do, but what I can tell you is you know what it would be in the 30s for the public. Just wondering if you could have done it. Wow. And that was kind of That was an Yeah, and I was, all right. I'll go up there just to shut them up. It's not going to work anyway. It's not going to work. But I'll go up there and I'll live in New York, and then uh, I have all this money saved up from the band, and I had you know, some jobs and all that. And I, I could spend $10 a day, and I could live in New York for six months. That was a planet. So I spent $10 a day, every day. For breakfast, I had uh, two eggs over meeting with french fries and a Coke. 
I skipped lunch, and my dinner was a turkey sandwich from a whole wheat bread with a bag of potato chips and a whole lunch. And that was ten dollars. On the to the number <laughs> to the dot, ten dollars every day. Yeah. You, were you playing games up there? Hell no, it's New York. I was playing. I was hanging out. I was playing jam sessions and right. meeting people. Like my favorite memory of that is a. Uh, Patrice Russian was spending a lot of time in New York then. So we would always be at this club, the Record Brothers on about 7th Avenue South, and we played this Pac-Man until 3 or 4. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was like, what a life, that right? was a problem for me. I was like, man, this is great. And then in the fifth month, guys started calling me the gigs. Is it really that sad out here that you guys are calling me? Okay, sure. I'm doing the gig. You know, and, 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 and I never wanted to come back. But I never, I never imagined that this that I, I'd be this. I would never imagine. What if you didn't do music? What where would you think you'd be now? Mystery. History for sure. Because I liked it. What what part of history? What's see? I had, I had a history teacher, Mr. Bonfield, in the seventh grade. He made me fall in love. First day in seventh grade, that was twelve years ago. I already teach, you know, teaches dates. Columbus discovered America in fourteen ninety two. Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor December seventh nineteen forty one. What is not really fun? That's just whatever that is. He said, challenge in history in Hawaii. And as soon as he said, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Because the why is teachable, right. intriguing, curious. The rest of it is just memorization of things. I'm just boring as And so Mr. Bonfield really kind of triggered that thing. And that's the, the, that same year or the year after, I, I heard of, uh, about a book called The Glory and the Dream by an American historian named William Manchester. Totally. It was a thousand pages. <laughs> and I spent the whole summer reading. Wow. And, and that was it. You still have it? No, probably at the, might be at the house. Okay. It might still be at the house. But uh, that was it. It was on. I mean, I, was, I became non fiction boy in a world full of fiction books. So, I, you know, I was the strangest kid in the class. Yeah. So as a new audience, what is some of your favorite things about being from the city? Um, just everything. The way people talk. The way they move in space. That was the thing when I moved to New York. <laughs> when I was 19, I didn't say that, but but I had this feeling, and then as I aged, I could articulate. But I just don't know how to move in the space. They're all kind of they're not, most of them aren't from you. Mm -hmm. right? They're highly ambitious. And they're also like socially kind of rigid. Uh, they need a certain kind of conformity. Everything has to go a certain way. And when it doesn't, they just like free, they out, free yeah. out. <laughs> It's like this really kind of interesting person that goes to New York to make their fame and their fortune. And when you brought down here, it was like, you know, 
when I got to New York and I decided I wanted jazz, I didn't really know I loved jazz. So I stopped listening to anything that wasn't jazz. I was, I was in the tunnel. So from the 1979 to 82, I didn't listen to anything that wasn't jazz. And I was in her apartment and she put on this police record, Senyata uh, Dada. Who is this? She's great. She wants this man from England in the police. You know, they kind of have a brigade. It was great. So I went out and said, well, I, I have, I've been out of this world for a while, so I bought Zinyata Madonna. And then I saw the next to it. They're in a ghost in the machine. And this is all prior to CDs being in the for 85. This is all I opened. And it's ghost in the machine. And then not long after, Synchronicity came out. We didn't go to this concert, Planet Six Stadium. So, right around that time, 83, I made my first record. It's like convoluted life nonsense. So, in the publicity department, Columbia Records, where I was signed, a woman named Mary Ellen I would go in the office sometimes, and just, I had nothing to do. 22 years old. Let me ask you a phone for you. I think you're like my sister. <laughs> what else am I going to do? It's like I play video games. At that time, I didn't drink. I never smoked. I don't like hang out late. So I would just be up early and just be me. I said, I don't want to So uh, she was friends with Andy Summers, the guitar player. And every time they came to the U.S., she'd make a little Columbia care package full of stuff that's going on in the town of the and then she threw my record. And a month later or so, two months later, she was you come into Manhattan, because the police, they want to meet you. I said, that's fine. Why would they want to meet me? She goes, oh, I put your record in this thing. He said, well, they play your record a lot. It's my first record. I said, yeah, sure, you know. Come in, and it was this party for them. And because I'm from here, they love it. Well, I just I had mad, so I walked in and I said, in my mind, it's like this is like a five man on this thing. I'm not gonna do my excited Marcelo thing and talk about your records and saw these people around. I'm gonna walk up and show me, hey man, nice to meet y'all, you know. And then uh, Andy says, yeah, I really like the record. I said, it's great. And the says, you know, you come to my concerts? And I already got tickets, bro. You won't see me. Nice to meet you. I got. Two years later, I get a phone call from a man named Vic Garberini, who's written a musician magazine in Snow. This is Ed and Vic Garberini from Stingham's Commission. This is starting a band push. Wow. Now, if you knew me and you knew Terrence Blanchard, and you knew Jeff Tane Watts, Fantastic Genius Drummer, my mind goes, Frank. We break the hell out of <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is a good one. This is a good one. So I'm like, well, it is a restaurant on West Broadway called Obion. It's still there. Yeah. Obion. All right. And I'm walking up to That was the hot spot. Yeah, it was. And, uh, and I'm walking in and, and I see the. They were calling me with these hosts. He said, I'm not Laughing. <laughs> I know I'm being break. I know it. I know it. I know it. And I'm walking back and forth with 
and then finally I walked up. Man, supposed to be staying here, but he's right over there. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> but I was convinced I was gonna call him and say, "Yeah, y'all got me. <laughs> y'all, <laughs> y'all got me." Yeah. But uh, so and then we met, and he says, "I want to start a band." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Cause first I was like, yeah, I don't really want to play with police. Y'all got a sound, and y'all don't really." Someone else do things. Yeah, okay. You need music? I said, no, I already hear Van Cat. You're a great songwriter. It's going to be fine. And you can play it all on the bass. It's going to be fine. And that's how it happened. But I think that those things are all interrelated. Otherwise, yeah. Oh my God. You broke the cardinal man. You know, uh, you don't get random phone calls like that, like out of the blue. There has to be a reason. And this happened three or four times in my life. Right? After thinking all these things trace back to this, to this, to this. Always happens for a reason. Yeah. That's what I How'd the public enemy? Oh, uh, well, that was Spike. Spike was my name. Spike Lee. Yeah. My name. Okay. And what was that? Because he's a. He's funny. <laughs> he's antisocial too. But it's funny. Uh, now, this is. And he didn't find these? No, no. This no. is before he became Spike Lee that everybody knows. This is before he had done his very first movie, which was um, She's Got Ahead. This is before all He tells me later he wanted to come to us to ask us to invest in She's Got Ahead, which we would have done, but he didn't bring it up. Right. As he walked in, he said, Hey guys, my name's Spike Lee. True story. Wendy and I were living in Brooklyn. Wouldn't be grudging when went over there. He didn't stay very because he loved me. But we were living there. Says, uh, I just want to welcome you out of the neighborhood. I please music. And Whitney says, I can Did you have to play bass? Yeah, how'd you know that? He says, man, when I was seven years old, my dad took me to a concert. Your dad, that band, like the descendants of Langan Phoebe, right? And I, I remember the name, because I was eight, and went and said, what? Yeah, man, he came to the woman's and the my computer. He said, that's him. <laughs> wow. So we came in and we were just, you know, shooting the shit, talking and hanging out, doing whatever. But he never brought up that he had his movie wanted us to invest in. And uh, I said, yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> and then a year later or so, I'm on the road with Sting. And I went to Europe for eight weeks and I came back and he was on the cover in time magazine. I burst out of there. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> oh, so I called him. I said, Yo, man, you know, congrats on the movie. So you see us, I saw it twice. This was great. He said, I went to the screen for you. I said, Man, no. No, I, I, I didn't spend whatever it was, it was eight or nine bucks. I got eight bucks. <laughs> so, but, but we were neighbors. We were neighbors. We were, it wasn't like he was, you know. So all that other stuff that happened, we, we stayed friends because the friendship wasn't based on that. Right. And he knew that I was impressed by all that. So we talked. And you made it into school days. But I was hilarious. <laughs> That's the convention there. He just came out and said, you know, man, you, know, you want to be in this movie? Or what's it about? It's like, 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 it
that would mean that even you, as accomplished as you had to be in that job, or to you don't have to be accomplished. You just have to be good on the job. Yes. Um, but it just so happens to be very accomplished. The not playing every night, not practicing, not writing, that will, it will, you'll, you'll lose what you have. Use anything, use anything that, that you relate to. You know, like the, we, we, we have this way, what yeah. happens to NFL players the moment they retire. Yeah. The first thing they say, no, the first thing they say is, I've been working out since I'm 12. The last thing I want to do is work out. And as a result, yeah. But it's because they're done. And chubby, it's not like I love being chubby, but <laughs> I know what it means to not be chubby, to not do this, to not do that. I know what it takes to be a good musician. I was a person who didn't practice for a long time and then suddenly discovered practice. And But I was always listening to music and playing concerts. And there's this thing that you have, even if you're not necessarily the best musician. There's a thing you develop. Cooking. There's a thing, there's a thing that you develop by cooking a lot. Doesn't mean that it's good food, but there's a thing in as a chef, you know when you're around somebody that they've spent thousands of hours doing this. Yes. Doesn't mean you like the food, but there's an attitude and a thing, a delivery and you practice music and you practice music and you practice music and then you just stop. You'll be aware of that for a year or two years. It all starts to decline. Just like muscles atrophy, you have to be a player to be a player. It's just simple. You know, and if you do it long enough, that's when you see <coughs> some 42-year-old guy that used to play basketball go out to the free-throw line and drain shot after shot after right. shot after shot. Well, yeah. He's not in the league anymore, but he's been taking those shots for 30 years. And you get a certain thing from putting that much time into it. And the question for me was, was like, is, is money enough for me to just give all this up? And I, I didn't grow up around a lot of money. My, my father didn't value it at all. And I think I inherited that gene from him in 14. It was easy. It was an easy decision on multiple levels. And then, yeah, I was kind of, yeah, going through my anger phase and stuff. But it really, it's, I mean, it's, so it's kind of like, it's, but it's, it's like, you know, the thing that, that, that Zion said a couple of days ago, right? He did, that's not how he meant it, right? But it's going to stay it's how everybody heard it. It's because linear people hear it literally. They don't hear it figuratively. They don't attach any context to it. And in my situation, there was no context at that at the time. I wanted to share with anybody anyway. I'm like, I shouldn't said it, but there it is. It's out there, you know. And and I had to. I'm always. I also knew that my dad said it. It's pop culture. In a year, people will forgive me. So anymore. And he was right. Okay, so we. Get through Katrina, and you and the guys get together. And who came up with the idea for Musicians Village? Hmm. Harry. He just called. No, we were we talking. talking. That's Harry Connie. Yeah, sorry. That's right. He was talking. He wanted to start a school. 
it's not a school. School's a political. You don't want to get into this nonsense in this state. But what you can't teach, you can't keep and say, you can't say. We need to do something because it's like we, we win in the linear game. You get on TV and they say, well, whose fault is it? And I would say, oh, who cares? Who cares whose fault it is? It already happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What are we going to do now? And then my friend would say, man, that was, I, didn't, I didn't know you would be a diplomat. I said, I wasn't being diplomatic. I say, all right, who do you want to blame? Name a name. George Bush? Okay, great. It's George Bush's fault. Now what? What are they going to do? Do you feel better? The houses are still all fucked up. Yeah. There's still 18 feet of water in the lower ninth ward. But now we have a person we can say, it's his fault, even though it's not his fault. We can just say that. And, and, and okay, now what? So that's what you wanted me to do. Say a name, whoever it was. You know, Ray Hagan, just throw a name out there. And then what? And then it wouldn't be diplomatic. Man, we got to fix this place. Yeah. It's like, y'all out here talking, I'm in business. Y'all want to blame somebody? I don't have time for this shit. We got to fix it. <laughs> so my manager calls me and says, the person wants to talk to you. I said, tell me what we're doing and I'll talk to him. Because this other thing is just childish. And what was the project? Well, we, like, we, we, Harry was already, he had a relationship with Habitat for Humanity. And then my manager called and said, uh, Harry has this idea. We can work with Habitat for Humanity. We can build homes. And we can't make it all musicians because that is discrimination. But we can make it a lot of musicians. And I said, I'm in. Now I've got something to talk about. How do you feel? I say, I feel great. We have this thing. We're going to have that humanity. We're going to start building homes. Because that, the, the, you know, the Monday morning quarterback thing that we like to do in our lives, I was just beyond that. I was too, too old for that kind of stupidity. Well, I was. Other people my age aren't too old for that stupidity, but I was definitely beyond it because it solves nothing. It solves nothing. It's like you get that five seconds of gratification, I guess. I'm not sure what the, what the meaning is behind that. But we had this thing, we were going to do it. And uh, Harry and I did some concerts, we started raising funds for it. People were very generous all over the world. Some people flew from Europe and came here and helped build houses. Oh, wow. One of my favorite memories is the entire University of Maryland marching band came here for a week. Wow. And they would build houses in the morning, they would take a break for lunch, and then they would practice for the performance that they were going to do at the next football game. And uh, they stayed from Sunday to Friday. Wow. And every day at three or four o'clock, you could hear them. I, wanted, I should have went over and said hi to them, but uh, I'm smart enough to know that everybody in the marching band is not aspiring to be a professional musician. They probably had no idea who I was. So I just left them. I could have met the band director. Plus, I was in that space where. A different time. I was into like, let's face this. I wasn't into all that. Hey guys, how's it going? Yeah, it's a great thing. I was, you know, it was just like we need to do something. And, and but I never forget hearing them uh, play every day, like four o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon. It was great. And that's that's something you really don't get as a society in any other city here. That you can always step out and, and hear music. music. Yeah. Like we would hear roots of music. Yeah, it's both. It's great. It's we would hear them, and we would 
get out of the house and just wait till they came. It's, it's something about this that really, it just makes me happy. I agree. The first time you heard that you were nominated for a grant. Didn't matter to me. Didn't matter. No. Still pretty cool. Okay. There, there's, I, I get it that I deal with the same thing at home, that there's no patting on the back, but it's, it's that's nice that's to hear. Good. It's right, nice to hear. Let's use a more modern context. Okay. So in the NBA, everybody's, there's a big fight. You know, uh, Joel Embiid should win the MVP. And the other people say, it should be Jokic. No. I'm a musician. Those guys play professional basketball. When I see guys with them on the court, they know how hard it is to do what they do. They both know. They know. And I watch. Jokic don't really give me that. That's my view. And these all wrapped up in this. And, and, you know, and I talk about this at the barbershop. Instead of talking. And I say, all right. So there's only 500 of these guys in the world that play in this league. And they want to be liked by some sports writers. And I love sports writers. But it's all the context. It's like, when you hire people who are not doing the thing you do to render a verdict about how good you are, right. yeah, I'm sorry. That's nice and I'm grateful, but that ain't got nothing to do with the thing. And the Grammys are even more different because that is an industry award. It is an award that is run by the record industry for the record industry. So they're not just they're in, the in, in, in your categories, there anybody, anybody voting? I, I worked for I worked for Columbia Records right for five years. And an email comes in. They say, here are all our people that you're going to vote for. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So I was on Columbia and I got Grammys. And then I left Columbia and I haven't gotten one since. Have I got worse? No, nobody likes me anymore. Right? I mean, this is this an industry award. It's, a, it's an industry award, and, and, and I treat it like that. I mean, was it, you know, I'm not like, I'm giving this award back. That's not, no, thank you, right? Where, where is it? Where are they? They're in the basement on a dresser on the top of a counter where my records are. Gotcha. They're not in the living room. Nobody's going to walk in the house and see those things because that doesn't define me. Well said. How do you make the switch to writing for Broadway when Fences came up, August Wilson. Play. They asked you to do it and... Is it a different mindset than writing for... No, do you, writing is writing. Do you have to... Do you, are you with the script first and then you write? Yeah, that, that's generally a mistake, but yeah. Okay. Because when you read a script, like when you read a book, this is the problem I have with the, the, the thing audible, the books. Yes. Yeah. When 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 you were reading the book, you were hearing your voice. It is your voice talking to you. It's your brain. When you read a script, you're reading the script with your experience and your memories and your emotions and not the actors. So when I did fences, I wrote all the music before they started rehearsing. And the director says, You haven't seen and I'm about to do this. I can't write this music. 
This man, you know, read this paper. He said, That's your voice. That's not their voice. And when I finally saw them in rehearsal, I mean, they broke into tears at the end. I certainly wasn't crying when I read the script. Huh. Because again, like words and like sound, it is how they deliver the words, how real actors deliver the words, how they create the emotion through body language and inflection of voice. And I had to rewrite 50% of it. Because, and that's the, the lesson. So, you know, it's like a process. See, we want you to write for this movie. Would you do it? Yeah, I'll do it. Great, we'll send you a script. I never read the script. How, how does that process work out? That you know a tempo that they're looking at for? I wait until, when I see, when I see this, the, the images, I know what I need to write. Gotcha. That's the thing. When It's the same thing that Kenny Leon taught me. When you're reading a script, it's you reading the script. It's not it. It's not the director's vision. It's your own interpretation. And to write to that is a mistake. So I'm always like, you know, yeah, okay. It's a great day. You read the script? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> when, when, when the film comes in and I see it, I'll know. And it's based on my experiences. For instance, if, if I only listened to one style of music and didn't grow up listening to orchestral music, I would write very differently. But, and sometimes it happens that I write these stuff and the director doesn't have the same musical experiences that I've had and say, yeah, that's not what I had. Do you find when, you, when you're writing a song, how does it start? Is it, you know, for me, when I'm creating a dish, it's about seasonality, what I want it to be spicy, acidic, crunchy. Right. I hear a melody and I write it down. Because in school they reverse engineer the process. In school it's always about harmony. Harmony is a big word. Because you can analyze harmony. Melody is elusive. It's hard to write melodies. You can't teach it. But I never, because if you Look at a classical music score, you know this. Like if you look at a, a, a song by your favorite, like you go to the music store and buy, you know, I'm gonna always say somebody old because I'm old, but Springsteen, you know, whoever it is, Beyonce, and you buy the chart. It's like the melody of these chords, the guitar chords you yes. and piano chords. You read a classical score and it's all notes from the bottom straight down. And what that taught me was that a harmony can be whatever you need it to be to make the melody work. So that is a completely different way of thinking. Whereas if you write the harmony first, the melody can only be a couple of things. That's interesting. You know, and in a popular concept, it's probably more effective to write the chorus first. <laughs> <laughs> limit the harmonic <laughs> but, it, but, but the stuff that I'm doing, I write a melody and then I figure out what the chords are. And then I write them out and then I give them my piano there and he puts the symbols in that he wants to make sense, make sense to him. When do you, and again, same thing with the recipe, when do you say, okay, that's it, that's what I want? That's Well, recipes are different. Because they find out they can't. No, they're different because I'm on the stage with three other chefs. Right. But you're lost. Or you're the you're the writer. I am the boss. Yeah, and I'm the writer. But then you're hiring these other people, and they hear different things. A smart boss just lets it happen. 
a dumb one says, no, that's not what I wrote. Right? I don't play piano. He might have a better idea. And we have these things, and we joke about him with Joey Calderazzo. We were playing a song with Alan. He says, you should let me play out, you know, in my soul. I should play without the baby first. I said, no, that's not what I'm hearing. So we did it my way two times, and I said, yeah, let's do it your way, man. And his way was the right way. You can always learn something new. Yeah. You know, because I, the same happened to where I said, no, it should be this way. I'm like, well, I think it needs a little more of this. And I'm like, why not? Yeah. And sometimes it tastes better. Yeah. You just have to allow for the possibility. You know, and, and, and I'm definitely, I think one of the things generally about collaboration anyway. I want to get right, man, go ahead. And if I don't like it, I'll say no. Right. <laughs> but more often than not, it's great, man. I get to take the credit for it. So it works. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Brent from Marcellus, what an enjoyable time we've had getting to meet you. Um, we're going to bring it home with some uh, hometown news. Anything you want to tell the folks? Mm -hmm. Come on. Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. All right. Big news coming. Not yet. From the boss. Yeah. Thank you very it's much. It's a year away. It's a year away. Yeah. 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 I was just like, let's just. Time goes quicker as we get older. We'll bring you back for that. There you go. There we go. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Make way for the rebirth, y'all. Make way for the rebirth. Yeah, Bill. Make way for the rebirth. Make way for the rebirth. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.